Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm Anna Sale. And to me, family is where you learn to love and be loved. Hello, and welcome to We Are Family. I'm here with Anna Sale, host and managing editor of the WNYC podcast, Death, Sex, and Money, all about the big questions and hard choices that are often left out of polite conversation. Anna's covered politics for years, including New York City mayoral races and presidential campaigns. She's the author of the book, Let's Talk About Hard Things. And certainly parenting is full of hard things, so we're glad to be talking to her. She has two daughters with her husband, Arthur Middleton. Anna, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me, Julia. I'm excited to be here. Now, so you have two daughters. What are their names and how old are they? June is five and Eve is two and a half. <gasps> June. I love that name. My daughter's five also. Her name's Esme. But June was like, I was between June and Esme, so I've always loved that name. Esme is a good name, too. Is your child in kindergarten? By the time this airs, she'll have already been in kindergarten and be a kindergartner, which is blowing my mind a little bit. Cool. Um, how about you? Are you navigating kindergarten? Yeah, we we just started kindergarten a week ago here in Berkeley, and my younger oh, wow. daughter just started going to preschool. So I'm alone in my house for the first time in a long, long, oh, long, goodness. long, long, long time. <laughs> <laughs> What's that feeling like? I didn't know what to do with myself at first. I sat down in a chair and I turned on some classical music because I was like, how do I mark this moment? <laughs> I sat down right. in a chair and just was like, okay, okay. Um, it was, a, it was, it's felt good so far. It's felt good. Good. So now this is a podcast about family as well as parenting. So let's go back in time a little bit to when you were a kid and I'm going to throw a question at you that you wrote in your book. Let's talk about hard things. One of those simple questions that can really open up a conversation. Tell me about your family. <laughs> that, that can be quite a can of worms, right? Um, my family, uh, my family of origin, I grew up in a family of five daughters. I'm, I'm in the, the middle of the pack. Uh, and I feel like that really has shaped me in, in how I sort of move through the world. Um, we were a family of talkers, a family of feelings talkers. And I think something that was really important for me growing up was my two older sisters are actually half sisters. We call we called them sisters growing up, but they are my from my dad's first marriage and he got divorced and then married mm -hmm. my mom. And so I had these older sisters who, you know, were like younger than an aunt but definitely older than peer. And so I mm -hmm. I grew up with this sense of like having cool people to ask the biggest burning questions that weren't your parents, which I feel like was such a gift <laughs> for learning how to navigate <laughs> coming of age. Right. Oh my God. Thank God for my sisters. Um, yeah. And then my parents, uh, I grew up in West Virginia. My parents were both in medicine. My dad was a doctor. My mom was a physical therapist. And yeah, I feel like for me, family uh, I was really, really blessed with this growing up feeling that family was a place of love. It was a place of a lot of different kinds of people all sort of fitting together in one unit. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, it was a wonderful way to learn about family. I love that. So did you feel like it was your sisters or your parents who would who would be the ones you'd turn to when you want to talk about death, sex, and money, since that's your topic? Yeah, for sure. My sisters. I mean, my, you know, my parents, like we would talk, but it was sort of in like, you know, the way you talk to parents. Like, um, I feel like my sisters were the mm-hmm. ones who got the real dirt, you know, and, and would give me the real dirt. <laughs> We were raised Unitarian Universalist, so that was also something that was really Mm. important to me growing up in this community of sort of where the idea that it's important to think about big questions and values and have some principles that guide your life, but also that there's more than one way, and that's okay. Um, So I really credit my parents Mm -hmm. for sort of setting that template for our family culture. But for sure, when it was questions about like sex or drugs, you know, I went to my sisters and not my parents. (laughs) But also in your book, you talk about how you can kind of get trapped in an idea of identity within your families. Like you have these tropes that we all talk about, like, I don't know, like goofy younger brother or like anxious mom. What have some of your own family identities been? And how about your your own identity within within your family? And how do you kind of like shrug those off or, you know, if if it's not something you want to kind of take through your life? You know, I would say I've definitely shrugged them off in relationships outside of my family, but I totally revert when my family unit is back together. You know, like it's, that's the thing about these family roles. Mm -hmm. Like even when you feel like they're ill-fitting or you've outgrown them, they're still there. They're like a a suit that doesn't quite fit, but that you still sort of zip on. You know, as I said, my family was like a big family of talkers. And even though I'm like a professional communicator now in my work as a journalist, when (laughs) I I notice that like, I'm not the one like leading the conversation when I'm with my family. I'm much more the sort of listener and observer. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think I also, my sisters would say about me, like, I am like a very classic middle child in that, like, Anna growing up was always about like, sort of like being independent, accumulating a lot of trophies and being pretty achievement oriented, <laughs> you know, and right. also mm-hmm. like, Learning how to play both sides, which I feel like middle children are very adept at, um, Mm. which I mean, like, you know, I would I would change alliances on road trips, you know, depending on what what would work better for me. Like, you know, you can think of that as being diplomatic. You can also think of that as being like highly manipulative and adaptable. (laughs) But, but, uh, you know, I think I think both both apply for me. Yeah. So I wanted to move on and talk a little bit about your um, your own relationships. I've I've been divorced, and I know you have too. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about your first marriage was was short lived, and it and it ended ended. Um, you were kind of blindsided, it seems like, or or it ended when you were sort of. De- it was kind of devastating and confusing. You said I, um, you didn't really know what, what had gone on. Can you talk a little bit about that and how you how you processed it? Yeah, I mean, first shout out to the divorcees who are listening. <laughs> I remember when I when I did finally make the decision to end that marriage, I was like, okay, like I'm just gonna own being a divorcee and just really try to build out that part of my identity because that seems really sexy and cool. I love that divorcee. I, I remember I had a moment too where I was like, okay, I'm gonna own that. It's like so sophisticated sounding. So let's go with it. But yes, I love that. Go on. <laughs> yes. So so now I consider myself both a wife and a divorcee because I'm remarried, but I, I still mm-hmm. think, you know, having gone through a divorce was really, for me, a, a really pivotal time in in just like how I thought about life, how I thought about mistakes, how I thought about growth, certainty, stability, et cetera. And, and as you described, like for me, you know, I, I first got married um, when I was 26, 
to my mm-hmm. ex was someone that I met when I was still in college. We were best friends. We sort of became adults together through our 20s as we dated. Same, 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 same. <laughs> yeah. And so it and it was like, it was this feeling, you know, of like, oh, I've, I have found my person. And now I'm going to, alongside this person, I'm going to build this life for the rest of my life. Thank God I have figured out this one big, you know, mystery question about who who's going to be my person. I had found it. And then we started to have trouble. Uh, and it and it started mm-hmm. sort of with like small things where you're like, oh, is this, are we arguing more frequently? Or like, what is this about? And can we talk this through? And, and it just became an accumulation of, of small fights that then led to the recognition over time that, that this wasn't about you know, just us not having communication skills to to work through conflict. This was about us really fundamentally wanting different things. Mm. And the way I experienced that, it was a a real shock because the first feeling I had was just failure. Like, this is not who I am. Mm. I am someone who makes a commitment and who cares about family and will make my marriage work. And when that wasn't working... I had to update that sense of myself. And that was really sort of a painful process of letting go of this idea of what our marriage was supposed to be. And and I think mm-hmm. once I did that, and we did that together beginning it, you know, we started, we were in couples counseling and read all the books together, and then finally sort of decided together that this was the right the right step for us to take. And and once we did decide to, mm-hmm. to end our marriage, I think both of us just felt this immense sense of relief of like, oh, like, okay, yeah. we get we get to ask for this. We get to ask for this difference mm-hmm. and to let each other go. I had to let go of this idea of what life was going to be. And, and it wasn't what I expected. Yeah. It's not, most people get married with the idea that they're going to stay married. And so for most mm-hmm. of us who get divorced, it's not something you anticipated. So that shock takes some time to process. Yeah, like your whole whole like personal identity that you have as, as a person. And yeah, and just like dealing with that whole shift in what you expected to have happen and, you know, what actually is the reality and acceptance and everything. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot to process. But you met your husband pretty soon after you'd separated from your, your first husband, right? How did you kind of know that he was he was the one? <laughs> Oh, I well, I met him very quickly, and I knew I was very attracted to him and that, that he was someone I wanted to spend time with. So we did that, and then it was two years of being angsty about whether <laughs> I was ready for a relationship. Of course. Because I wasn't ready for a relationship, you know? I, I had a lot of just sort of, like, healing. And, and, and for me, also, just, like, figuring out how to trust that I could stand on my own two feet and I wasn't just like falling into the arms of of a man who was going to make me feel safe again. Like I didn't really trust my motivations. Mm-hmm. And so that was sort of the backdrop of our early romance because I, I did meet Arthur, you know, like my divorce wasn't final yet. It was filed, but it wasn't final. So so I was in very much mm-hmm. a state of upheaval when we met. But it it was hard for both of us because we were long distance. And I think us being long distance was really important because I did still get to have that space of like living on my own, feeling like I was making my own decisions every day about like, I don't know, just like what to do after work uh, and not having to to negotiate that with a partner. And then the question became like, 
for me, it was like I was now in my early 30s. I knew I wanted to be a parent. So there was this sense of time pressure to like, okay, are we doing this or are we not doing this? Because like, if we're not doing this, I need to make some other moves. Um, And so it was a lot of pressure. It was not smooth. Like there, we broke up Mm. once and then we quickly got back together and then we broke up again. And then it really felt like it was for, for keeps. And then Arthur realized he didn't want to break up. Like he, he sort of like swung hard and was like, it's okay that we don't know what our life is going to look like together, but here's why I think we should do it together. That helped me sort of like, I think it was, it was divorce fear. I, I, I really felt like if I couldn't visualize how our life was going to work together, I was afraid to make that commitment. Mm-hmm. And, but, but kind of seeing how Arthur rose to the moment and just sort of like, he is someone who is uh, extremely adept at talking through feelings. And it sort of like made me feel comfortable in the idea of like, oh, this is somebody who I can I can figure out things alongside. And we don't have to have it all baked in before we decide to take this next step. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I think there's divorce fear. But I feel like I also say divorce is kind of a superpower too. going into, I hope, at least I like to think so, going into new relationships because mm-hmm. you're really kind of careful about what you want and how communication like that is so is so important. Um, I have a question though. So how on earth, I, I read that Senator Alan Simpson got involved in getting you guys back together. How, <laughs> can you talk about that story? How that happened. Yeah, I was like, should I say that now? It like makes it go off in this whole other tangent when I introduce that weird, weird detail. But yeah, so during that period of where where we were really broken up, um, and I really thought this was we were done. I was supposed to be Arthur's date at this event in Wyoming where he was getting an award for for some research he was going to do. He's a wildlife ecologist, mm-hmm. so that was on the books. And then we broke up, and I was like, look, like I'm not going to come to Wyoming to this event. I think that's best. And he had this idea. He was like, I think if <laughs> I think if Alan Simpson, the former senator of Wyoming, calls Anna and asks her to just come out to this thing in Wyoming, I think it'll make Anna laugh. Like it's a it's such a weird idea that he and you know, and I had covered politics, so I was aware of Alan Simpson. Right. It's like your equivalent of um of the boombox outside the window, kind of. Exactly. Yeah. Which is like, I mean, it totally is, which I loved that movie as a teenager. So like Lloyd Dobler, love him. Yes, me too. And it did make me laugh. And it was also just like so specific to kind of like, I don't know, like me and the things that I would be delighted by. Because, you know, I, Alan Simpson, if you don't know who he is, he's this kind of like, he's just a guy who you just want to listen to to talk. He's just, he's funny. He's like, there's just no one like him. And I get this call from him on my answering machine telling me to call him back because he's gotten this letter and he has something important to talk to me about. And I'm like, what is this? And I learned the backstory when I called that Arthur had written this letter and basically said, like, I know you don't know us. Here's the story. I'm a wildlife ecologist, spent time in Wyoming. My girlfriend, Anna, is a journalist in New York. You know, I've spent too much time in the woods with the elk, and I'm asking you to call her on my behalf and ask her to come to this event in Wyoming.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So now Arthur and you got married, and now obviously we're here at Parents, so we love to talk about parenthood. What was your journey to to motherhood and parenthood like? Well, it was like uh, <laughs> I, I was very I was very very lucky um, because we got married in August, and then our daughter June was born in June the next year. So I like went off birth control right around the time right before our wedding. And then promptly got pregnant. And I was like, oh, okay, so we're doing this. <laughs> you know? So um, so that was that journey that was like, okay, we are moving into this next phase. Yeah, so that was easy for you. <laughs> that was an easy journey into motherhood for you. <laughs> that was easy. No, but I feel like, you know, it's all, it's all well and good that it's easy. But then, of course, like motherhood and becoming a mother, you know, is a huge identity shift. And you talk a lot about identity and family and just curious to know how once you know the journey and then also you know going through your pregnancy and what that how that impacted your idea of of self oh my gosh in so many ways like i i feel really lucky that it wasn't hard for me to get pregnant that first time and that that was such a such a blessing and i know it's not something everybody get, gets to have come easily and then my pregnancy was like mostly okay. It was most like there was one kind of very weird curveball that like a, a late ultrasound found that I actually had like two placentas and my baby's umbilical cord was connected to the junior placenta, like the baby placenta called oh. an accessory placenta. So that was like a kind of a weird thing. And and then she was breech. So, so I had to sort of like okay, I guess my, my, what childbirth is going to look like isn't, isn't what, um, my childbirth class in this Brooklyn yoga studio has prepared me for, you know, I ended up having a scheduled C-section by that point when, once we were coming into the end of the third trimester, I was, I was pretty detached from what the birth process was going to look like for me because I just wanted to see this child and and make sure she was safe. And it was really Mm -hmm. troubling to me during the last phases of pregnancy when you could feel this giant baby, but couldn't just see her to check on her, you know? Like, I was very excited to just have the baby out of my body. And Mm. I don't know, like, how has that changed me? I mean, so many ways. It's, I feel like there's parts of me that are just more. I don't feel like, for me, I've had a lot of parts that I've had to really let go of. But I feel like, as a parent, like, I just feel like my life is full, like fuller. And certainly Mm -hmm. like, I think that having a second child, I think ramped it up even more because that, that sort of made like the way that I move through the world and the way that our family routines work, like they're pretty prescribed. So I think the one big thing I had Mm -hmm. to let go of was flexibility and spontaneity, which Mm -hmm. like I miss. And we'll someday hopefully get a little bit more back into my life. But yeah, it's really fun. It's really fun to get to know these people 
who who've just shown up, you know? <laughs> yes, absolutely. With like their own individual personalities and everything that like, yeah, I so I so often as a parent, I just think that like I would always think that I would know what to expect when it came from my daughter's personality. And then you find out that they're their own humans with their own, you know, ways of being. And it's quite remarkable. I mean, that sounds obvious, but it is a kind of a thing that dawns on you. So you uh, you've talked about the uncertainty around the time the time that you're developing what you called your parent personality. I mean, you kind of just don't know what kind of parent you're going to be until you are one. What sort of mom do you think that you turned out to be? And what about Arthur? What kind of dad is he? <laughs> Those are big questions. <laughs> you know, one thing that I have sort of observed is like that I sort of I'm like, huh, this is interesting. Like I I'm a parent who like is pretty comfortable letting my kids do almost a, like probably like basically crossing the line into dangerous things on the playground, <laughs> which, which I think mm-hmm. is like free interesting range. when we'll you observe. Yeah. Yeah. Like your relationship to risk, I think as a parent is something that is interesting to notice. Arthur has a similar thing of just like, you know, we'll take the kids down in a raft down the river, you know, put them both in life jackets and and try that out. Or we spend a lot of time outside and exploring outside and climbing trees. And so I think that that has informed a kind of, you know, just like exploring and adventuring kind of spirit. So, yeah, I don't, I don't really think I can tell you what kind of mother I am because I feel like it just keeps changing. And I feel like it's something more that yeah, I notice than, than what I'm intentional about necessarily. I mean, I I feel like it's like what causes me extreme anxiety. I notice, you know, things like I get really freaked out when it's wildfire season out here. I get really, I I had a really hard time like thinking about earthquakes and the earthquake risk every night going to bed once I became a mother. Like it was like, I've had to like work on how not to just like have catastrophic thinking right before I go to bed. You know, things like my five-year-old, like, you know, hanging from by her knees from the really high monkey bars. I'm like, it's cool. She's cool. She wants to try that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so obviously, like, your podcast is Death, Sex, and Money, talking about these big topics. Have you put much thought, and your daughters are still super young, but five-year-olds ask crazy questions. I know this because I have one. Mm-hmm. Have you thought about how you're going to approach those bigger topics with your kids? And have you had any conversations yet with, with June about those really big topics at all? Yeah, we have. I mean, I think of, like, the one that sort of asserts itself, whether you like it or not, is is death. For us, we were lucky that her first encounter with death was um, the tarantula sparkles in her preschool class. So that became, you know, she got to sort of practice the rituals of death and remembering with sparkles. Mm -hmm. It was not long after sparkles died when they, you know, buried the memory box and they talked about how they would remember sparkles. And then somebody very close to us lost her father. And so we sort of like had that template of like, so she's she's very sad right now because her father died. And so she's thinking about how she's going to remember her father. And these are the things that she's doing to help honor her father. And so that, so we, we use the word dead a lot, you know, whether it's everything from a person mm-hmm. to like a bug, like just introducing this idea that, that death exists. And sex, you know, we haven't really, (laughs) we haven't really gotten into the real (laughs) meat of sex yet, but I interviewed a a sex educator once and 
I, I've thought about this a lot. Like she, she worked with um, communities of people with disabilities and talked a lot about how they could assert their own sort of agency around, you know, how they, what was a private, private thing for them and a private part of their body versus a not private part of their body. And you think of like how to giving people words for that in, in the, in the context of like being cared for. And she went on to describe how she had sort of, you know, use that template for her kids who, when they were really little. And, and, you know, with kids, like you've got to talk about body stuff really early on, like as soon as like the mm-hmm. potty training starts, you know, you have to explain these very basic ideas of like, these are private parts of our body. This is private. We don't do this. This is, you know, these are, this is public. And this mm-hmm. idea of like these private parts of ourselves, we share them with people, you know, the only people who we trust, we share, you get to choose, you know, these, so you're kind of creating this like template for consent, you know, even though we're not talking about sex, but we're talking about bodily autonomy, you know, and I hope to build on that, you know, where babies come from and how they get there. We haven't fully closed the circle, um, but they know, you know, they, one thing that's cool is like my daughter June knows that my C-section scar is where she was born. And then my other daughter, Eve, who I, I had a V-back, um, she knows she came out of another part mm-hmm. of my body. So like, <laughs> we talk about that, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, that's, that's sort of the building blocks that we're working with right now. I love that. And I think it's so important to be frank and honest with our kids. That seems to be the kind of move, the direction of travel when it comes to parenting. But I mean, even Mr. Rogers used to talk about death so kind of like frankly and matter-of-factly and and just not, you know, kids are aware of more than we often give them credit for. So I think that's, that's, you know, really cool that you guys are so honest about that. So we uh, we always end the podcast asking people about their hopes for the future of their family. And it seems like your family is, has, a, has a pretty adventurous spirit. What's one adventure that you're looking forward to having together as a family? Oh, this is very specific, but I want to tell you all about it because if you don't know it exists, like, think about it. Something that that got introduced to my life when I met Arthur, who's, who does a lot of field work in the areas around Yellowstone, are are just like the wonder of being in the backcountry and and really being being far away. And before we had kids, and only once since, we, we would go. He did a lot of work by horseback, and so I've been went on a few pack trips with him. And and a pack trip means you go up into the mountains and you're on a horse and mules carry the like load for the campsite on the back um on their back so they kind of follow behind you and you can go with a guide you can go without a guide um but i i think about being able to take our kids on a pack trip and how like excited i am for that like just like seeing them in these vast landscapes where it's you and the mountains and the sky and all the animals around you, including some animals that are like grizzly bears that can be scary. And you get mm-hmm. to feel what it feels like to to be a part of nature and not just like trouncing all over nature. I think about being able to do that with them. And I'm very, very excited. The The word is in Wyoming, you, you want to wait until your child is old enough that they won't just um, fall asleep when they're sort of rocking back and forth riding a horse. So, so I think oh, we're okay. a few years away. <laughs> yeah. Good, good tip. That's a very good, <laughs> tangible 
tip. Anna, this has been such so great talking to you. Thank you for coming on to We Are Family. We uh, are so happy to have you. It's been great to chat. So take care and love to your family. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Julia. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to my conversation with Anna Sale. Her book, Let's Talk About Hard Things, is out now. Come back next week when we'll be talking to award-winning journalist, author, and broadcaster Tamron Hall about the devastating impact on her family of her sister's murder and her journey to motherhood via IVF. Be sure to follow We Are Family on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen so you don't miss an episode. And we'd love your feedback. If you could rate this podcast and leave us a review, we'd really appreciate it. You can also find us online at parents.com slash wearefamilypodcast. We Are Family is presented by me, Julia Dennison, and produced by Sam Walker. Editing is by Vincent Cachione, and thanks also to the rest of our production team at Pod People, Rachel King, Matt Sav, and Danielle Roth. We'll see you back here next week for more We Are Family. <laughs>